So hello, um, I'd like to welcome you all to our second Read Scholars Live podcast, Let's Talk Health Equity. I'm Mary Fleming, I'm your host and current president of Read Scholars. And just for you all who don't know, Read Scholars is composed of physicians, dentists, mental health specialists committed to collective action to achieve health equity. Um, so if you're listening, I'm assuming that you are aware that there are health equities present in this country and globally. And the purpose of this podcast is not to identify or discuss health disparities in and of themselves, but rather to have conversations with leaders in health equity, highlighting innovative solutions to hopefully work on narrowing the gap. With that being said, let's talk health equity. Today's guest is one of our own, uh, Reed Scholar, Dr. Daryl Gray. He's from the class of 2014. Daryl currently lives and works in Columbus, Ohio with his wife and daughters, but he hails from Baltimore, Maryland, and has trained across the country, including Morehouse in Atlanta, Howard in D.C., Duke in North Carolina, WashU in uh, St. Louis, Port Coming and completing, excuse me, the fellowship in Boston. Um, as a gastroenterologist, he currently serves as a, an assistant professor of medicine, uh, director of community engagement and equity, digestive health, medical director of endoscopy and gastroenterology services at University Hospital East, and deputy director of the Center uh, of Cancer Health Equity at the OSUCCC. Did I get all of that right there? That's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a mouthful. And some and, you know, since that bio was sent, some things have changed, such as getting a promotion to associate professor. Um, so so that's all good. That's Thank exciting. You. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Well, welcome. I appreciate you joining me today. Is there um, anything else, you know, that you want to add or that I missed or you definitely want to highlight um, about what you we're going to get into some more stuff, of course, as we go. But um, any big things? I missed? Uh, no. Thank you for that amazing introduction. I need to. Um, like bottle that introduction, take it with me when I go different places. Um, and I want to apologize to the listeners in advance if they hear sirens going past. I'm in my office currently, and um, sometimes you may hear sirens going beyond. So I want to apologize to the listeners for some oh, background. That's quite all right. This is real life, and you know the work has to be done. So it's, uh, I think they will. I think they'll forgive us for that one. So kind of diving in, uh, I know so clearly. You know from. Um, just from the, the brief bio that we mentioned, you are heavily engaged in equity, uh, health equity space now. But before we got really into what you're doing now, can you tell me a little bit about how you initially got interested in health equity in general and what led you to gastroenterology, just to kind of, you know, give us a, a backdrop from our conversation. For today. So, so as I think about um, kind of influences um, into my current roles and, and really getting engaged in the work of trying to uh, push uh, others and health systems and uh, people towards um, embracing health equity as a goal. I think back to kind of my parents and I was fortunate enough to grow, in a two, grow up in a two-parent household where uh, my mother was a teacher. She um, taught in Baltimore public schools and Baltimore County Public Schools for over 30 years. And she did some work in special education and multiple other facets of education. And my dad uh, practiced medicine, actually internal medicine in inner city Baltimore. And so I got to see at a very early age kind of uh, the impact of social determinants of health as well as health care on people's well-being um, and health. And um, certainly as that kind of was further cultivated with the uh, uh, love of sciences through education at Morehouse College and 
later through exposure to medicine at Howard College, Howard University College of Medicine, really that love grew more. And I began to think of ways that as I saw myself as a specialist in medicine, I could incorporate this vision for health equity um, into specialty medicine. And initially I thought that would be uh, through cardiology. So in medical school, I was an aspiring uh, cardiologist and thinking that I would be addressing uh, cardiovascular disease, which is the number one killer. And as I went to my um, uh, residency in internal medicine at, at Duke University and had exposure to cardiology very early, um, I recognized that I liked it, but I didn't love it. And um, I was fortunate to have mentors, both women and men physicians, um, who were gastroenterologists. And um, I got the opportunity to shadow in clinic and see them do procedures and saw how they were able to have impact in their particular niches. But also I could envision an opportunity for me in establishing my own niche to have impact on underserved communities. And for me, that kind of materialized in work around colorectal cancer prevention, which is the second leading cause of cancer-related death and disproportionately impacts people who are impoverished and people who are of low socioeconomic status and people who are black, particularly have the highest incidence and mortality rates from colorectal cancer. And so that's really kind of the beginnings of, of uh, my foray into this work. Makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think, um, you know, for most of us, there's some spark or something that, uh, or a series of events, most likely, <laughs> that led us down the health equity yeah. path. And I think once you, you know, kind of know what things are going on, that you really feel like that, you know, we have a you know, a, um, an obligation to try to help in some capacity. So, I mean, you clearly do a lot um, and you spoke a little bit about your uh, passion around colorectal cancer uh, prevention training. And you mentioned some some statistics, but, you know, just to make sure everybody's on the pa same page, is there any um, anything else we need to know, you know specifically around um, statistics or are any anything you know specific to Columbus or Ohio that you would like to um, highlight? Yeah, I mean, I think as we think about um, addressing health disparities and moving closer towards health equity, um, you always have to be thinking about. Um, obviously, you identify the problems, right? But you want to identify uh, action steps and then take that action. And I think. You know, one of the things is we try to um, move closer towards health equity. We also have to understand, well, who are the players and who's engaged in this work? Um, and unfortunately, the landscape, particularly if we look at um, healthcare delivery, those engaged in healthcare delivery, those in medicine and allied health professions, et cetera, public health, the face of that does not reflect the face of America. And particularly if we um, look at African-Americans and, and even more specifically African-American males, we're not seeing um, kind of a mirror of the population um, reflected by those faces. So, you know, whereas the United States is approximately 12% African-American, um, usually less than 5% uh, of those in medicine are African-American. And, 
And when we talk about um, particularly black men in medicine, so well, African-Americans comprise about 4% of the physician workforce, but black males uh, comprise closer to 2% and 2% certainly a full-time faculty at um, MD granting institutions. And um, this has significant implications. Um, they're less, you know, a t- 2015 report from the AAMC um, called Altering the Course uh, demonstrated that there are less black men matriculating through medicine, uh, medical school than in 1978. I mean, that's crazy. Um, our sisters, <laughs> you know, our, our, you know the, our black sisters are excelling and they're doing great and we will continue to champion them doing great along with our Latino, Latinx uh, brothers and sisters, um, increasing numbers. But we are not seeing that uh, amongst uh, black men in medicine. And certainly, we're also not seeing that amongst our uh, Native American uh, brothers and sisters as well. Um, but so, so that's a problem. And it's a problem for a couple of reasons. One, um, it impacts training, right? So if I'm in medical school and I look to my left and I look to my right and I see everybody that looks exactly like me, I'm not getting exposed to different cultures or backgrounds that may make me more effective uh, as someone in patient care and directly interacting with patients and communities from diverse areas. Um, two, uh, there is ample data that suggests that um, diversity drives ac- excellence. Diversity impacts patient outcomes and care, and, and even specifically to at the granular level that having some patient-physician concordance um, impacts whether people will adhere to recommendations that are being given. Now, that's not to say that every patient should try to find a doctor that looks right, exactly right. like them, skin color, that is. Um, that's not what I'm trying to say, but what I'm trying to say is that there is importance in having diversity and black men are in a critical important, a critical part of that diversity. And so we need to do more work to enhance the diversity of our physician workforce and particularly enhancing the pipeline of black men going into medicine. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's definitely something I wanted to spend some time talking about today because I think, uh, you know, in, in having these conversations about diversity in the classroom and and really trying to help people understand that it's it doesn't start when the the physician walks into the room, right? All of these conversations need to be had as part of the educational process, probably before we even get to medical school, right? And so that we're comfortable having conversations in diverse spaces, having and even when we are interacting with people who may not be like us, be sensitive that they may not be like us, and, and understand how to negotiate those those cultural. Um, right dynamics in a central, a sensitive way, um, but also uh, making sure that it doesn't impact their care in a negative way, right? And so, um, you know, I know that there, at least the conversation is happening a little bit more and, and you know, you know, I see you and, and some of your colleagues, um, you know, speaking a lot about this, not just in the academic space, but you clearly have, you know, gone further beyond that. You've got YouTube videos online. I know you've been on TV and radio trying to make sure that everybody's engaged in, in conversation and how important it is and how we need to keep, you know, not just talking about it, but um, exploring solutions that we can help recruit. And I don't even know if recruit is the right word, but just help young, you know, young black men be interested in medicine and knowing that making the diverse space will make us all better, right? Clinicians, all better academicians um, and that type of thing. 
Um, so one of my questions is going to be, you know, when you're moving that conversation forward, when you're trying to make people understand why that this why this is important, what do you, what have been your biggest rewards or Absolutely. what are your biggest struggles even, um, you know, with having conversations with people who may not necessarily understand, you know, why they're those of us who think this is very important? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the challenges is trying to get people who um, have not traditionally been invested in such a conversation um, or who have difficulty empathizing with um, the importance of, for example, diversity in medicine um, to one, you know, come to the table around this, um, but to two, put, you know, resources um, behind changing the paradigm. And um, so, so I think that in itself has, has been a challenge, but not one that's not overcomable. Um, I, you know, and so one of the rewards on the flip side of that is, I think, you know, as much as I and others at Ohio State, but also across the nation who've partnered around uh, this issue, one issue being obviously black men in medicine, but um, is seeing, you know, going into spaces and, and thinking that you need to be the one to champion it, but you start hearing your words and the words of your colleagues being echoed. And so, you know, to, to see that what you've done, you know, as an individual or as a group being kind of championed by others, that's a huge reward. Um, and whether it be people who are students to people who are fellow faculty or in leadership um, in different sectors, so not just academia, but in, in other sectors kind of championing uh, that work is extremely important. And that translates similarly to as we talk about um, how health systems address um, social determinants of health or non-medical social needs. Um, it, it translates to, you know, what's happening, what health systems can do literally at the community level, um, all the way up to the policy level and being active in decision making that happens at a structural policy level um, to change um, um, healthcare uh, for vulnerable populations. And so that's tremendously rewarding. That makes a lot of sense. And I think um, when you're talking about changing the paradigm, right? So medicine as a whole, the culture of medicine can sometimes be a little slow to change, right? From, from everything that we do. Um, and I think just the, the, the movement will be slow, but it will come. And, and I think that was um, interesting when you said, when once you hear other people saying what you say, you know that the conversation is continuing without it. And I think especially for a lot of us who are really heavy in the health equity space, and when we talk about, um, we used to use numbers, I mean, words like critical mass and that type of thing, but when we're in healthcare systems and we're in this space and we're the only mm -hmm. one who finds this, not necessarily finds it important, but is willing to put it on the table, put it on the agenda and push the conversation, it can be hard to be that only one. Uh, but when you can you can get a few allies, you can get a few people who understand that, yeah. um, you know, that it will make everyone better. Uh, we'll make your whole health system better uh, when we address these issues. Then, like you said, then other people will pick it up and, and yeah. won't feel like so much pressure to carry the conversation. Yeah. And, and I think, too, 
you know, one of the things that, like you said, we've, we've been at this for a little while now. And so what's been exciting, though, is that is to see kind of health systems really invest, seemingly investing more in this work. Um, and certainly, um, albeit you would like to think it's all altruistic, um, it's it's not. Right. Um, <laughs> but it still allows the work to get done, you know, so it's it really is exciting to, you know, look across the na- national landscape and seeing health systems um, and private sector organizations um, um, investing in this work. Definitely. And, and I, you know, I think there's, um, I mean, I think there's reasons to be optimistic, right? So, I mean, a lot of times this can be discouraging, right? Um, because it, it does move slow or mm-hmm. people don't necessarily quote unquote get it. But I think we're in a, um, a nice place now that it seems to be um, more important. And like you said, some because people get it and also some because it in, increases the, um, improves your, your bottom line, right? If your people are healthier, you're going to, uh, uh, your profit mm-hmm. margin is probably going to change. So, um, so we get that. So, um, kind of mm-hmm. looking forward in this, in this optimistic lens, um, are there anything, um, or any things I should say that you feel particularly excited about that you see on the horizon? Are there any exciting, you know, when we think about education and uh, uh, increasing diversity, I mean, are there any exciting pipeline programs that you want to share with us or any new funding opportunities or, you know, do you think the, the innovations are more in, in training yeah. once we get to the undergraduate or graduate um, or even, you know, postgraduate training. So just want to give you some, you know, a little bit of time to talk about, you know, what do you, what do you see on the horizon and what people should be looking for and talking about? Yeah, I I think this is such an area that is ripe for um, improving uh, as we talk about the pipeline. Um, You know, one exciting thing that I'm engaging here in Columbus, but I've seen models elsewhere outside of Ohio is health science academies. So we locally have health science academies that spans from uh, elementary to high school, particularly in this um, network of seven schools that traditionally was underperforming. Um, and really, Ohio State um, partnered with the Columbus City School Districts on this. And really what that allows is for, or what it has facilitated is having physicians, nurses, allied health professionals, veterinarians, pharmacists, et cetera, in the classroom with the teachers and students and helping to deliver the curriculum. Now, the goal is not that everyone be a physician, everyone be a nurse, everyone be a pharmacist, but that you be a high-performing and ultimately great citizen of Columbus and Ohio. And um, so this opens the gate for opportunities, and it certainly hopefully exposes kids, children, and learners to, as we've been talking about the physician workforce, talk up to medicine and opportunities they, they can have. And, you know, there's an old adage, if you can see it, you can be it. And for many of um, our children in the inner cities, particularly here in Columbus, Ohio, many of them have not seen a black doctor. I, I recall, and i give a brief story, I recall um, going to one of the elementary schools to talk with Um, the principal about health science academies work and about how we can engage with them. And at the time we met in the cafeteria meeting with one of the um, education coordinators 
as well. And a student was brought to the cafeteria, particularly to meet with the principal, because he, he, he requires some disciplinary action in regards to something. And the first thing she did was she greeted him just very nicely. And it was a young boy. Um, I believe he might have been in like third grade, but don't quote me. Um, and uh, the first question she asked him was, have you ever met a black doctor? And the boy said, no said, well, well, what do you want to do when you, you know, when you're older, when you grow up? He said, be a doctor. And she said, well, look, I want to introduce you to Dr. Gray. And that was just a powerful moment. And so having such academies like health science academies replicated, you know, across the nation may be a a very impactful uh, thing. I think, too, about kind of moving further up the pipeline, um, even to undergraduates and medical students, it's important to, you know, cultivate that interest for those who are interested in pre-medicine or medicine, and then help them to overcome barriers that they'll experience in the journey. And so, for example, at Ohio State, uh, Dr. Quinn Capers, you know, even before I started on faculty here a little over five years ago, started an African-American male mentoring roundtable. And Initially, it was for um, medical students, residents, and fellows and faculty, but it has since expanded to include undergraduates. Um, and it's amazing to see the growth in time and, the, you know, to be there five years ago when I had first started and to see, you know, several people in a room to now seeing a full room of, you know, folks who are either in medicine currently or wanting to get into medicine is, is really powerful. And so, it 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 really underscores the importance of mentorship through this and you know exposure to those who've been there done that had the same experiences hurdles had the same setbacks and overcome them um to really kind of inspire but provide support to those um in the field so you know that's you know that's another way i think uh we can continue to grow the pipeline but even moving further upstream you know, it's exciting to see national organizations embracing this. So, you know, Ohio State was one of nine institutions to be part of the ACGME uh, collaborative to address healthcare disparities. And, you know, I'm one of the leaders within this. And it's been fun to really engage our residents and fellows and faculty in the work. You know, I say the work almost in quotation marks to describe, you know, what we do to try to improve health for all patients, but certainly really trying to push us towards health equity, which means we need to do some things for our vulnerable populations who are underserved to get them to the point where they may be close to being uh, receiving uh, fair uh, and just uh, care to or ability to have lead healthier lives. And so that's, that's fun. You know, I've, I've, been also part of an effort by a national society, American College of Gastroenterology, where we launched a campaign back in April called Diversity in GI, hashtag diversity in GI on social media channels and um, social media platforms. And, you know, it has been amazing um, not only to see those who have embraced it within our own society, but to see people across the U.S., institutions in Europe and the Middle East jump on board with this campaign and really champion it. Um, Then to see other societies say, hey, we want a piece of this too. And so we're partnering with Pediatric Gastroenterology uh, Society. And there are other societies who I've talked with who are calling, literally calling and emailing me to say, how can we 
be a part of the solution and making our workforce more diverse. That's exciting. And that shows that the work um, is is happening, being done, being accomplished and being embraced. So I think there's tremendous opportunity. I've really just talked about some of the things that have happened within my spaces in Columbus, within Ohio, within gastroenterology. But certainly there are and, and within the ACGME space or so graduate medical education space. But certainly there are things happening across the nation that you've been involved with, uh, Dr. Fleming, and and um, that are happening outside of that that really uh, is exciting. Definitely. I mean, we could spend, I think, another what couple hours just talking about uh, <laughs> some of the things you just touched on today. Um, right. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it's I think it's important too that what um, to kind of bring those two things back together. You know, we, we, we still have to do the work on both ends, right? So we have to continue to work on making these systematic changes, um, not just in medical education and, and medical culture and how the health systems approach um, health equity and, and their programs and, you know, reaching out to community. But at the same time, we still have people who are um, not interacting with the health system in effective way. And so we still have to go out there and make sure people are getting the screenings, right? We still have to make sure people are going to the doctor, still have to make sure people are understanding their results and and, and doing the follow-up. So I appreciate that you talked about um, all of those um, facets of addressing health equity and we health equity, and we can't do them individually. And to me, I, th- I feel like one of the things that I'm impressed I mean, I'm impressed by you overall. I think you're, <laughs> you're doing great stuff. I mean, I really do. But right. I, I appreciate that you're coming at it from all directions. Um, and I think we need, I mean, I think there are those of us who need to stay in different lanes because, like I said, the work has to be done in each lane. But we also need those who are great at bridging the conversation gap that are just as uh, well-versed in the exam room as they are in social media spaces as we are going and sitting in the boardroom. So I really appreciate that about you and the work that you're doing and um, hope that you will continue to do it. And I know that you will. Oh, you know it. So with that being said, um, I'll give you an opportunity for any parting words, any advice um, uh, or anything that you have, any call to action that you would like to send out for our colleagues um, moving forward. Yeah. You know, I just encourage uh, listeners and our colleagues to think outside the box, particularly, you know, as you have matriculated through training in medicine and are used to wearing the the white coat um, in different spaces. I encourage you to take the white coat off, put your boots on, get out into the community to think outside of just the clinical realm or if you're in, in basic science or translational or clinical research, think outside of the walls of the laboratory Think about ways that you can impact, you know, your communities beyond just that kind of discipline that you've been trained in. And certainly you have support with colleagues around you, me, Dr. Fleming and others around the nation, the Reed Scholars community and your work to do it. But we have to think about if we're going to impact communities, we have to think about, um, like I mentioned before, social determinants of health um, that impact or uh, non-medical social needs that impact people's well-being. We have to think about what we can do from the point of educational pipeline to impacting health. And we have to think about how we can engage others, whether they be policy decision makers, whether they be uh, influencers in other spaces such as social media, 
whether it be um, uh, leadership at healthcare institutions around this issue and continue to push it forward. Uh, lastly, I encourage you to check out, if you're on Twitter, um, check out hashtag Black Men in Medicine, check out hashtag Diversity in GI, help us to continue to push these issues to the forefront. And Mary, Dr. Fleming, thank you so much for having me. I so very much admire you and your work. I appreciate how you've been leading the Reed Scholars for so long, and um, I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Daryl. I appreciate that. Well, with that, I will again thank Dr. Daryl Gray for joining us today, um, and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll include the uh, the hashtags on our podcast description so that you all will have those. And you know, I tell you all to be on the lookout. So uh, there are many more great things to come from Dr. Gray. Thank you for listening and um, we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.